0: So, and his name will be called Everlasting Father. So, uh, that might cause some confusion to us in that the child born, as we uh, so often talk about this time of year, and then also the son given, that transaction that occurred at Calvary, born 30 years later, that that one would be entitled. Would also be entitled Everlasting Father. Nothing worse than hearing yourself. (laughs) You will have to bear it, but I don't need to. (laughs) Yes, very good. So we've thought of him as the Wonderful Counselor, right? His name shall be Wonderful Counselor. And that has to do, of course, with his words, his instruction. And then uh, the mighty God we considered last week. And that has to do more with his deeds, the mighty deeds that he performed while he was here on earth, all those miracles and signs and wonders that he did perform and continues to perform in ways. But um, this title might be considered somewhat of an enigma because although we could Consider the mighty counselor and the mighty God as certainly being the everlasting father. There's no problem with that in our minds. When we think about the child born and the son given, how is he the everlasting father? Well, we're going to consider that in three dimensions this morning, actually, because there are some alternate translations of these two Hebrew words and uh, Everlasting Father is the one that you will find in almost all the modern translations that we have in English. But Father of Eternity, we are told, is the actual literal Hebrew, Abi Ad. And actually, though we're talking about two words there, they form a combined word. So as we consider that today, we are... Definitely following the instruction to preach the word, so we will be for the rest of our time. We will be considering the uh, aspects of Him as both everlasting Father and Father of eternity. And then there is one other interesting translation: Him as the Father of the coming age. Think about. That, in terms of, as we've already thought this morning, much of his millennial reign, and also the fact that, from Isaiah's perspective, our age, the age of grace, the church age, is a coming age, and he is the father of that as well. So, a little help from Brother Spurgeon. Well, we'll get to him in a minute. Let's look at some scriptures. That'd be helpful. So, how can the Son be called Everlasting Father, as we consider this particular translation. Well, we have four different ways to look at that. The first is, he was the perfect manifestation of the Father. So let's look at John 14 in the Upper Room Discourse, the School of Christ, as it is known, where he's giving his final instructions before to his disciples as he before he goes to Gethsemane and Calvary. And there was uh, a question raised. Lord told them that although he would be going, that he would come back for them because he was going to prepare a place for them. And so uh, Thomas raises this question in verse 5 of chapter 14 of John. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, that I am in the Father, one of those great I am's in the book of John. I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of their works alone, their works themselves. So he indeed was the perfect representation, as we say, the manifestation of the Father the child that was born and the son that would ultimately be given is the perfect representation of the father here on earth. So in that sense, he can be called the everlasting father. My brother Stan was impressed upon that just last week. He jumped up and gave me that uh, that bit of uh, idea as we were considering uh, Considering him last week, the closeness between the father and the son is such that he is that perfect representation. Now he also came as the second Adam. We know what happened with the first Adam, our first father, if you will, the progenitor of our human race. He fell and has passed on to us a fallen nature as well. So if we go to 1 Corinthians, we find out that we have another progenitor, because for those of us who have come to faith in this one wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this peace, as we have come to know him as Savior, we thought about that name this morning as well, that we now have another progenitor. Another one who passes along a nature, not a fallen nature, but a perfect one, a heavenly one, not an earthly one, but a heavenly one. So Paul takes this up, and we'll just kind of break in here. Uh, Well, let's go back to verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it was written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual the first man was of the earth made of dust, the second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Man. The first Adam, our federal head, as he is described of our human beings, our physical beings, of our earthly beings, and yet we rejoice that there is one who is our everlasting Father in terms of our spiritual being. Again, for those who have been born again, begotten again through the work of the Holy Spirit and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ's finished work on Calvary. So he's the perfect manifestation of the Father, and in that way, he's the everlasting Father. He came as the second Adam, our spiritual Father, as it were. And he's also the author or originator of our salvation, Hebrews chapter 2. This is An interesting portion because it's one of the only places in Scripture that we will find that the Lord Jesus Christ, through the prophecy, another prophecy of Isaiah, and the writer of the Hebrews, calls us his children. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, while he was here on earth, did address his disciples, as children from time to time, his dear children, a term of endearment. But he never specifically said, you're my children. Let's read, and for context again, we'll go to verse 9, chapter 2 in Hebrews. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. An author there, again, can be translated as it is, I believe, in the NSAV as originator, the originator of our salvation. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name, to my brethren, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise to you. Quoting, of course, from the 22nd Psalm, the end, of, the end result of all of his sufferings that are described earlier in that prophetic Psalm. Verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He has done that because he tasted death for us. But here, he, uh, again, through the words of the prophet Isaiah, describes us as the children whom God has given me. It's interesting that this quote, actually both the quotes that are given in verse 13 are from Isaiah chapter 8, and Isaiah chapter 8 happens to be right smack dab between the two great Advent prophecies of Isaiah, Isaiah 7, which he described that a virgin would give birth, his name would be called Emmanuel, between that prophecy and the one which we have been considering for several uh, weeks now, and which we had read to us this morning, about unto us will be upon his shoulder, To us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His Name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So it's perhaps of not some insignificance that this, that the author of Hebrews draws on this uh, prophetic word from the one who was the uh, described as the one who would be God with us. And then these other names that we are considering here from Isaiah chapter nine. So we are his children whom God has given to him. We oftentimes think about gifts this time of year. Uh, we once to do Christmas, in fact, just recently, about years ago, we used to do Christmas plays. And one of the plays that we did, was entitled The Perfect Gift. And indeed, our Lord Jesus Christ was the perfect gift to us. God's son given. Not only a child born, not only humanity, born into perfect humanity because he didn't inherit Adam's sinful nature, but also the son given in terms of him being God, the mighty God. But how often do we think about us being Perfect gift that the Father has given to Him. Wow, Their brother Vern often would say, "Think about that for a few weeks." We, to the Son, we are the Father's gift to the Son as His dear children. That's our position. That's what He has done. But I wonder how often we really present ourselves to Him in that way. Because while that's a position, while that's a done. Indeed, the deal has been done. We are his children. We have been given to him by his heavenly father, giving us that relationship. We can be described as brethren, as he did uh, earlier in the portion we read. But day by day and moment by moment, it's up to us to give ourselves to him and practice. Position, we rejoice in, practice, we work at. I don't know if practice makes perfect. I did hear a quote once from a, actually Vince Lombardi, the great football coach, who's past. Not practice that makes perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. <laughs> and that's what, that's where we aim for. We aim for that type of giving to him in accordance with our position. So also, he can be called now our everlasting father, because of the way that he cares for us as the children that God has. I'm talking fast to him, and we're going to try to go through these real quickly. i be talking fast, but as long as you listen as fast as I talk, we'll be all right. Okay, get this up here eventually. And well, so what is the nature of his father relationship to us? Well, first of all, as we thought, and this gets a little bit small here, sorry, but it's uh, perpetual. He is the everlasting father. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13.8. He's the present father. There's no absentee fatherism here like we see in the world today. He himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the perfect father. He committed no sin nor was guile found in his mouth, First Peter 2.22. He's also pure, of course, fits right in there. He is patient, he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He is our provider. By his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He is our protector. He is able to keep us from stumbling and present us, how is it, Victor? Faultless. Yes, and that's one of Victor's favorite verses. And he is our pattern. He suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. What fathers do, you know, they set examples we follow in their steps from an earthly standpoint. How much more should we follow the example that he has given to us? So in all these ways, he is aptly described, even though it might not quite be the best translation of the Hebrew words as Everlasting Father to us. Okay, his name will be called Everlasting Father. What about Father of Eternity? Okay, well, here's some things I copied from you can't read that anyway. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the Hebrew words rather than tell you it means all of these things. Abbey, Father, it's in a literal and immediate and figurative sense. And you can look up all these things on your favorite uh, website for Bible study. I happen to use Blue Letter, but there's many, many others out there for our learning. And he's also everlasting, ad, meaning eternity, and perpetual, is forever, okay? Now, uh, okay, here's a quote from Spurgeon, finally. did have another one, but somehow... The Messiah is here called in Hebrew the Father of Eternity, by which is meant that he is preeminently and possessor of eternity as an attribute. Father of Eternity implies that Jesus is preeminently eternal. No language can more forcibly convey to our minds the eternity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is eternity ascribed to Christ, but he is here declared to be the parent of it imagination cannot grasp this for eternity is a thing beyond us yet if eternity should seem to be a thing which can have no parent be it remembered that jesus is so surely and essentially eternal that he is here pictured as the source and father of eternity jesus is not the child of eternity but the father of it eternity did not bring him forth But he brought forth eternity, independent, self-sustained, uncreated, eternal existence is with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for Brother Spurgeon for that wonderful explanation. So we're going to look at, read these very familiar verses in Colossians, what we call our wall verse because it's there before us every time we come in the doors in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be seeing that he indeed is preeminent, as Brother Spurgeon noted. 15, he is the image, speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things consist and he is the head of the body the church which is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have the preeminence so all things were created by him all things and he is before all things and by him all things consist and that And he's the head of the body of the church that in all things he might have the preeminence. So here's the point. All things includes eternity. He is the father of it. So he has preeminence over eternity, in eternity, for eternity because he is aptly described in the original Hebrew, father. Okay, we go now to the last one. And here is a... A quote, a quote, this one is taken from another one of my favorite websites I'm publishing, Sound Teaching on Electronic Media, which I very much recommend to you all. When you want to get to the root of a spiritual question, I say, eventually, you got to go to STEM. Not horticultural questions, spiritual questions. So this is in response to a question, actually, that was raised about our Hebrew words here, and this is somewhat of an abridged answer to that question, but it says uh, the everlasting father is not the best interpretation. That should be in parentheses. For the Hebrew, uh, nor indeed does the literal father of eternity appear to fall in line with the context, which clearly has Christ's earthly kingdom in view and not eternity. The Greek Septuagint, reads, at least the Alexander manuscript and one other, the father of the age to come. And this is what appears to be the meaning of the original words before us. Child born, the son given, wonderful counselor, and mighty God. So also in the future age, the millennial age of blessedness, for which this now sin-stricken earth uh, longs for, will will he be known as... The father of that age to establish it, to preserve it, to care for it, to be all that a father is to his people and the governor among the nations, for he is Prince Peace. So our reference here, uh, Revelation chapter 20 and verse six, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. That they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. What a blessed thing it is to think that we will be reigning with him in that millennial age, the age of which he is the father of. Well, if he's the father of eternity, I suppose he's the father of every age, including, from Isaiah's standpoint, one of the coming ages is, of course, of our age. The age of grace, the age of the church. Now the prophets, they of course didn't particularly see that, it wasn't revealed to them. It was a mystery in terms of the Old Testament revelation, which has now been revealed. But our Lord Jesus Christ is of course the source of our age as well. He is, as writer described this, the father, the progenitor, the cause of our age of grace. No longer do we have to be bound by simply being children of Adam, facing not only trouble and sin on this earth without aid and help, of an everlasting, no longer do we have to be in that lost condition, but we can own him as our everlasting father. Our relationship with him, by the way, to be very precise with our language, our relationship with him is not eternal. It is everlasting. Eternal means no beginning, no end. Our relationship with him as father has to have beginning. We have to come to him and own him. Such. Own him as our savior. And then, as we saw that it is the desire of a good earthly father, that their his children would follow in his steps, perhaps, follow at least the good examples that he can give from time to time. So we have the opportunity to follow in his steps, to be as it, the term Christian denotes, little Christ, those who have not only been begotten by him spiritually, through him, but also sustained by him, able to be his representative, to be his ambassador, instructed to be. So we do indeed rejoice in all these different aspects, regardless of which, how this is translated into English. It is a marvelous thing, our everlasting Father, Father of eternity, Father of the coming age and of our age. I don't know if this is, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, our Father God, we thank you for sending your Son, who was born as a child and yet would become the Son given for us. We thank you for sending him. We thank you for the relationship that we can have with him. We thank you that we can look forward to a time when not only will we be able to see him, but we will be transformed. To be like him. We do pray that in the manner in which we can do that, even today, that we would have a desire to know him and to be like him, and that we would represent him in this sin stricken world, that others might come to this same relationship to him and to you, and to be born again into the family of God. We do again pray for those who are uh, sick. We think of Jonah Loretta, think of, uh, of Joy uh, Perjam, who has been recently diagnosed with COVID. We pray for these, you would uh, help them. We pray for those who cannot be with us, you would give them a blessing where they are as we pray these things in the Lord Jesus' name.